Good morning and God bless you. We're just so grateful to be here. We're grateful to be in the number one more time. We're excited because God has brought us through yet another year of the Thanksgiving season. And with everything going on in the world today, we have so much to be grateful for. Grateful just to be able to participate in the program of God one more time. We give honor, amen, to our chief celebrant, Dr. Bishop James F. Harris and Pastor Syria Harris, our co-pastor. Let's send out lots of shouts of love and support for them standing on the wall, being the faithful leaders that they have been over 40 years in my life. They are marvelous people and we praise God for them. God is wonderful and he is merciful and he's so kind and we bless him for his goodness. And I tell you, Sister Donita, she could have kept on going because I was ready to fly off with the choir. Amen. Just glad to be in the number one more time. Amen. We're going to take this opportunity and we're going to look at Acts chapter 15, but we're only going to read verse 1 through 8 or 9. But before we do that, let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We give you glory and we give you honor today. Speak to your people what you have given me, God. Break forth every band, every fallow ground in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pierce hearts and mind. Give them a word, God, that will yield peaceable fruit in due season, God. And we'll be careful to give your name the praise. Praise these in all things we ask in Jesus' name. Bind up the brokenhearted and strengthen the feeble needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And we're going to go to Acts chapter. 15 verses 1 through 8 or 9. We're going to be reading in the King James Version, the New King James Version to be fact. And it reads as follows. A certain man came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had heard had had no small dissension and dispute with them, they were determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them must go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders to discuss these questions. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversations of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they received, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sects of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter, and when they had heard much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Praise God for the reading of the word. We're going to take a different approach at this moment to this text. And we're going to talk about 
a friend, a young man by the name of Bill. And Bill was a young man that someone shared the gospel with. And what they said to Bill is they said, Bill, Christ died to pay for your sins and how Christ came to give his life for you and how Christ did all of this so that you may have the right to the tree of life. Well, instead of this making Bill happy, it angered Bill because Bill said, I don't want Christ to pay for my sins. I don't want Christ to do this for me. I want to pay the price myself. And believe it or not, there are people today who have the same mindset. They find it hard to receive a free gift and they find it hard to receive the finished work of Calvary. But as the apostles in this text deal with circumcisions and the Gentiles being included, Paul and all of the others that were there concluded the fact that the work of Jesus was enough. Circumcision was not necessary to be born again and to be made righteous. The work of Jesus was enough for them to be drafted into the kingdom and the family of God. Love it. We are not saved because of what we do, only because of what Christ has done for us. The way to become righteous is through faith, not through religious right or human actions or substitutes. Christ has already done what needs to be done on our behalf. The redemptive work of Christ is complete through his shed blood at Calvary. Because of his grace, and this is the part that I like right here, because of his grace, his unmerited favor, his act of kind assistance to mankind. Amen. The quality that God gives to someone that special work that makes them more attractive by adding his beautiful goodness and causes them to become in him. Beloved, this is a praise break right here because at this moment, you under you have to understand the efficacious work of grace. Grace, God's beseeching and his bestowing. The fact that God gives us power to produce and makes us capable of producing in him his desired effects with results in him. That's miraculous. That's wonderful. That is enough to praise God for, for the rest of your life. That he augments us through the power of the Holy Spirit. His grace is effectual. His grace is efficient. His grace is fruitful and his grace is optimal, it's operative, and it is potent. I don't know about you, but I've needed grace on a lot of things in my life. And the grace of God shows up in so many different ways. And because Jesus is enough, and because of his efficacious work of grace, I want to encourage you and I come to remind you also because Jesus is enough. I want to agree with what Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians. He says that I am convinced and confident of this very thing 
that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect, to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, till the time of his return. And he says, as he's talking about Philippians, he said, I thank my God upon you of every remembrance. And when Paul remembered the Philippians and what they had done for him, he was extremely thankful. But he was even more grateful because of the work that God had begun to work in the Philippian church as they partnered with him to spread the gospel. Paul was very grateful as they partnered with him. And he says in the text, for your fellowship in this gospel was one of the reasons why he was so thankful that the Philippians partnered with him. And they partnered with him, not just waiting to see if his ministry would be successful, but they began to work with him from the first day. And he begins to encourage him in this letter. And as he prays for them, he said, because he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul thought about the beginning of his work and all of the things that he endured. And he was glad that they came along to support him. Spurgeon talks about the good work that we must be confident that God will complete in us. God is a worker who completes everything that he does. Where is there an instance or beginning of any work that God has ever left complete, incomplete? Think about that in your life. Has there ever been an instance in your life where God has left you incomplete? He completes every work, everything that he has designed in purpose for your life. He completes it all down to the last detail. Paul also, also expressed a confidence in God's ability to be thorough in that which he does. Paul talks about how this completion gave him satisfaction and joy. Um, and the next thing that I want to talk about as we deal with Paul, who talks to the Philippian church, and he talks about how God is going to complete this work. One might simply say that Paul was praying for the Philippians and who had, he had become happy and excited as he thought about how the work of the ministry was going forth and their support with him. Paul's first reference to his own feelings or frame of mind in this letter was that of joy. And he wrote from prison and possible soon execution. And he wrote with joy. And as he wrote in prison, it was in Philippi that he had sung at midnight with Silas and the company in the jail. Now here he is again in jail in Rome, writing another letter. Morgan teaches us that the glorious revelation of how life and the Fellowship with Christ triumphs over all adverse circumstances. Through triumph, it is not just a stoic indifference, but it is rather the recognition and the revelation of the fact that apparently all adverse conditions are made allies of the soul and ministers of victory under the dominion of God. Let me put it to you like this. All things work together for the good of them who are called and who love the Lord. 
Beloved, I want you to understand today that there is nothing in your life that God cannot handle and that is not subject to the power of God. You know, when Jesus was away and Lazarus died, the scripture says he stayed an extra day. And then when they told him he had died, he said he was glad. The next thing he said is because God would get glory out of that situation. And so many times we are excited and we pray and we say, God, we want to be used. God, we want you to touch our lives. We want you to be manifested. We want your glory to be made shown in our lives. Beloved, I want to tell you today, you do not get to choose how he decides to be glorified in your life. But when we rest in the fact that he is enough and he has called us and he will complete us, you are able to walk in the fulfillment of the purpose of God in your life. And when God gets glory, sometimes the road will get rocked. Sometimes there will be disparity. Sometimes there will be struggles and there will even be times when you will not even understand why he's taking you away that he is taking you. But I want to remind you that Jesus is enough and he will complete what he has started in your life. His purpose will be wrought at the end complex of it all. And that's what we have to understand and relax in is that God chooses to get the glory out of your life regardless of how difficult any phase of your life is. I remember when I was younger and I had a conversation with the pastor and one of the things he taught was he was talking about aligning with the timing of God. And so many all times we feel that the human time that we operate in is what God should operate in. But beloved, that is not how he works. He's the only one I know that can be laid in on time at the same time. And you have to pray that God set your clock in alignment with him because when we align with God, everything works out fine in the end. I want you to understand that when you pray that type of prayer and it reminds me of some research that I had done and it was talking about the Jewish prayer is not so much about fulfilling a wish list, but it is finding and discovering the will and the purpose of God in your life and then putting that in the forefront and you're walking it out as you live this life. And that's what we must do as believers, beloved. We must put that in the forefront of our life and we must walk it out in God's purpose because only in the perfect will of God will you have success. And so many times, because it seems as if we have been placed on a cross and stripped naked, left alone in the cold wind, and the dogs of nation are howling at the bottom of the cross that we have been placed in, so many times we think that that is not the will of God. But I just came to remind you that even though a circumstance may not be optimal for you, it is perfect for God. Let the church say amen. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in his text, he talks about how that um, he is convinced and he is confident 
of this one thing that he who has begun the good work will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you in the season at this time of year where we are right now, you know, we are about to go into a new year at the end of another year, going into a new administration. Some people think that God has forgotten me. God has left me alone and then it's about to be Christmas. I want you to understand, beloved, Jesus is complete in his thought process about you. And he will never leave you or forsake you or leave you undone. The Apostle Paul uses these terms. He said he is convinced. He is completely certain, persuaded and satisfied with the capabilities of God. He goes on to say that he is confident, he is assured and secure in what God is going to finish in the lives of the believer. And then the text says that he will continue. Continue means to maintain without interruption. He's convinced that God will stay on the course of action for the life of the believer. And tell this to yourself, he's going to stay on course on the things that concern me. The psalmist says he will perfect that which concerns us. The next term that he used is perfect. And that means to be entirely without fault or defect, flawless, satisfying all accounts of requirements. If you will be accurate when God has finished his work in you. Then the next thing that he says, he is faithfully reproducing the original content that he has ordained for your life. When God is done with you, not only will you be complete in his eyes and in the eyesight of men, but he will make you valid in the kingdom of God. The next word that the Apostle Paul uses in this scripture, he talks about him completing, having all the necessary parts or elements, all the necessary steps, fulfilling all of the requirements that are need to be carried out. It says that when God is finished with you, you will be highly proficient. And I want to bring God glory. I want to be as proficient as I can be when it comes to the things of God. And you have to allow God. There is a term that it's called malleable. You have to allow God to mold you. And molding process sometimes is uncomfortable, but it yields peaceable fruit in the end. And that is something that we must be content with in our life. You know, a lot of times, again, we say we want God to use us and we want God to get the glory. You do not, when you are the call, you cannot opt how you want to be used. You cannot opt how God chooses to shine through your life. But when you allow him as an open vessel to flow freely through your life in the good and in the bad, he will always be glorified because at the end of the day, God is in control. He has the final say over everything. I've come to remind you in this Yuletide season, there is no need to be overly concerned with the temporal things that yes, we love all of the beautiful things, all of the holiday shows, all the good food, of uh, being with family and friends, but the Christian believer is rooted in the celebration of 
fact that the Christ child came to begin the work of redemption to bring mankind back in good relationship with God the Father. And this is why we celebrate and are excited. And it is because of this beginning redemptive work that we hold on to the fact that God, even before time, even before the earth had been brought from chaos into its actual known state as the planet. Now, he had already had a plan in plan in place for not only the world, not only you and I, but he had a plan in place for redemption. And that's what Paul is talking about, the completed work that he is confident in. God not only finishing, because you know when you do any type of decorating or any type of event or you have anything special that you're putting forth, if you're a detailed person like me, after I get it the way that I want it and my vision has become actualized, the next thing that I do before I walk away and look back and call it good, I put the finishing touches on it. And that's what God wants to do in the life of the believer. He wants to put his hands on you and his finishing touches so that when men see you, they see the glory of God, the presence of God in your life. And that's what he wants to complete in you as a believer. The Apostle Paul talks about being assured and secure in the ability and the character of God to do this in the life of the believer. Now, that brings me to my next point. And my next point is that though there are times that you feel that in the midst of all of this, you say, okay, yes, I hear what you're saying, but it gets a little ugly, it gets a little tight. Sometimes I just cannot see the hand of God or see my way clear or see my way through. I want you to take the advice of the psalmist. And the psalmist says this. You know, um, I've heard this scripture a, long, a lot of times growing up. But, you know, as you get older and you mature, you understand, and then you begin to see the revelation in the word of the Lord. But in Psalms 27, the psalm says, do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for the false witness have come up against me. They breathe out violence. I would have despaired. I would have fainted had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then at the end of verse 14 or in verse 14, he says to us, wait for and confidently expect the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for and confidently expect the Lord. And I want to encourage you, beloved, regardless of what you're facing, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if you're laying on your bed of affliction or you feel that why has this come upon me in my life at this time and why do I face what I face and why is it me? The first thing I want you to say is, why not me? Apparently, if it has come, it has come the purpose designed by God. God will not hurt you. I want you to understand that. He will, he will not hurt you. His ultimate goal is not to hurt you, but to help you in every process of your life. But the psalmist even here talks about 
not being given up to the will of his adversaries. And he talks about the false witnesses and how did they breathe out violence. He said he had almost lost heart. He had almost given up. He had almost thrown in the towel. But he had, he had to believe to see. And beloved, that's what the Christian needs to grab hold to. He, he, David here is drawing from his the wisdom of his life and the experience of his lifetime. He says, I know despite where I am, God is going to show up and I'm going to see his hand and I'm going to experience his goodness yet again. I cannot allow what I see to dictate to me. Let me tell you something, beloved. You do not let any situation, you do not let any person you do not let any circumstance speak louder than your God. You always allow your God to have the preeminent voice in your life, in your mind, and in your spirit. David said, I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it is with this confidence, amen, regardless of what you're facing, you have to hang on to this promise. David, through the ages, speaks through us. And he tells us that God is worth the wait. He says, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I was going to see his goodness in the land that I live in. David seeking God and his acknowledgement of the Lord led him to the triumphant statement that he would have given up. But he knew the goodness of God was going to find him. That's a praise break right there. His goodness is going to find me. That's a reason why you should never, never, never find yourself in a place of complaint. You should always see the glass half full. You should always see the opportunity for the goodness of God in any situation. And I can. And sometimes it's a process that must be learned. But I guarantee you, if you hone in on it, it will yield peaceable fruit. David tells us to wait on the Lord and to give the courage. Your King David spoke to us as and the readers. And he reaches in the reservoir of his experience to encourage us to seek God and seek after him to wait on the Lord. And to take courage and to be of good care. I know there are so many disparities in the land, but you cannot focus on that. You have to focus on the fact of the goodness of God. And because I know him, I know that his goodness will extend to me. Spurgeon tells us to wait at the door with prayer, to wait at his foot with humility, to wait at his table in service. And to wait at his window with expectancy. It is not just enough to wait, but we have to wait, as Bishop Evans would say, attractively. You have to wait knowing that your God will come through and he will answer you every time. Even when God is silent and says nothing. Your relationship must be one that says, I trust him when I cannot trace him. In the latter clause of the text, Psalmist says that he shall strengthen your heart. This profound promise is for us. Across the century, David speaks to us again, telling us to be confident that there is strength in the Lord for those who seek him and for those who trust him.
David also wants us to understand this is how we should wait on the Lord. As a beggar waiting for handouts at a rich man's door. As a student who wants to be taught by a prime professor. As a servant who waits on his master for instruction. As a traveler who waits for the direction of a guide in a city that he does not know. As a child who waits on his parents for his next step, his next exercise, his very next breath even. This is how we must wait on this God that we are confident for, knowing that he comes through every time without a shadow of a doubt. Beloved, as we enter in this last month of the year, go into 2021 knowing that Jesus is enough. 2020 has been a challenging, a different kind of year for the world, not just Virginia, not just you and me, but for the world. And as God had chosen to refocus how we view him and his word and how we view ourselves, we must understand that his power and his plan for us is one of success. And as we follow him, because he is enough. And let me talk about substitutions. While I'm talking about Jesus is enough and being confident that he will complete the work in us and us trusting him and to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What I want to say to you also is do not accept anything that is not genuinely God. The earth is filled with so many substitutes and so many things that want to put on garments that look like God, but that are not God. In this last hour in which we are living as the church of the living God, we must be authentic in our worship, authentic in our praise, authentic in our love, authentic in our service. We have no opportunities. We cannot afford or risk any substitution. A substitution is not the real thing. There used to be a commercial long time ago, I don't remember if it was Coca-Cola or if it was Pepsi, but it used to say that it was the real thing. It was not the off-brand cola, but it was the 100% real thing. And that is what God is calling for in this last hour, is a people who authentically want him, who is authentically hungry for him, who is authentically following him, who authentically wants to see his glory be spread throughout the kingdom and the earth. Don't take any substitution. Don't take any lies or any tales or halves truths. Follow God wholeheartedly. And as David said, wait on God and be of good courage. Remember, wait as a beggar waiting for my handout from the rich man's door. As a student who waits to be taught by the chief professor, as a servant who wants direction from his master as a traveler who's lost in a foreign country and as a child who waits on his parent. Wait on God because he comes through every time, all the time. And the work that God has begun in you, whether this is your first day or your 50th year as a child of God, when he began that work in you, he is going to complete it and you're going to be whole and entire lacking nothing. 
Be blessed of God. Be encouraged and enjoy this Utah season because not as the world, we rejoice because Emmanuel came and he came to bring mankind back to himself. And that's why we rejoice. God bless you and be blessed in Jesus name. Amen.